Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, welcome back. Welcome into episode 27 of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Stephen Diener, happy to be here with you today alongside Karen Curtis, who's also happy. Hi, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I'm always happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How's it going? I'm a laughing on the inside kind of podcaster. Oh, okay, that's good. So <laughs> let's say now again, I just want to say before we get into it, uh, I always I think I'm going to start with saying thank you. Because the um, attention that we've seen towards this podcast has been unlike anything that we could have imagined when we first started it. So I really just want to say thank you to everybody who yeah. has been tuning in and has been downloading. Glad you like it. Yes, that's the thing. So we're going to keep trying to keep you interested in doing fun and, and interesting and intriguing, thought-provoking subjects for you every week. And I think that's what we have here today and a little bit of uh, ancient alien artifacts, fact or fiction. I think Some of these that you came up with, I never even heard of. Um, yeah. I mean, we've all talked. We talked. We've already talked about the Nazca lines, uh, a lot of the the heads on Easter Island, all of that stuff. But we haven't talked about this stuff. Yeah, and this is this will be new for you too. Yeah, this is going a, a little bit deeper, I think, into. Um, some of the ancient alien talk. And again, you know, look, you always hear about ancient Obviously, it's a hugely popular show on the History Channel, so we're not trying to do that by any means. But we've done our own ancient alien episodes where it was a little bit more on the mysterious, serious side. This is going to be like, okay, what the heck is this? What does it mean? And does it have to do anything with aliens? Is it even real? So that's why we decided to call it Ancient Alien Artifacts, Fact or Fiction, because that's kind of what we do anyway. We present you the story, and you kind of make up your own mind just from the, what we're giving you. I think you, Stephen Diener... Were, you were compiling your list of strange alien whatnots before ancient aliens ever hit the television screen. Uh, yeah, maybe, right. Yeah, just about maybe maybe the same time. It's been on for a long time now, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a long journey, Karen, of going through this stuff. That's for sure. So I'm glad I did because now we get to talk about it. Every I week. know. But before we get into all that good stuff and the artifacts and everything, Karen. What? I have to ask you about your factoid. Yes, you do. You always have a factoid before we get into to the meat and potatoes, so what do you got? I do. Well, you know, the Webb Telescope, which is really, really, really cool. Yeah, we would keep an eye on this thing. This thing is going to be able to see to the edge of the universe. Amazing. And it, was, it took years and billions of dollars and almost didn't get made because it almost got canceled a couple times. Right. But uh, it's got this huge gold, like, I don't know, like it's a flower that had to deploy... Yeah. Out in space, so it was like all wrapped up like a at night. You know how a hibiscus sure has its petals come in at night and then it opens up in the yeah. morning. Well, he had to do that in space. So, did the Webb Telescope fully deploy out in space, or 
or whew, yes, to the relief of scientists, it did deploy. Look at our sound effects department working. I know. Wow. This one was expensive. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> Scientists delivered the news during a press conference on January 8th, and they said that the mirror deployment in space went swimmingly as Webb executed the most complicated deployment of its lifetime with no major hiccups. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. yeah. Webb has enough fuel, by the way, to gather about 20 years of science, so... That, in the grand scheme of things, is just like infinitesimal amount of time, but it's still cool. What an achievement. I mean, really just... It really is. The scientific achievements that we've been seeing in space, just, just in space alone over the past few years, whether it's, you know, SpaceX or, I mean, with, with uh, things that Space Force are doing, or now with this, with the I Webb mean, Telescope, it's unbelievable. You take Hubble and you expand it. Thousands of times, yeah. that's what this is going to provide. So this is going to be really cool. I mean, laying on Mars, all these different rovers, and building the, the ships that are going to go to Mars and to the moon, and deep space exploration that we're doing. So it's, it's exciting stuff. Now, what they're not going to see in space is the vitrified uh, fortresses of Scotland. Vitrified forts of Scotland. Yeah. What is vitrification? <laughs> well... It's proven and reliable technology used by the U.S. government and foreign defense waste processing facility. Wait a minute. (laughs) The process converts liquid, radioactive, and chemical waste into a solid, stable glass, eliminating environmental risks. But really what it is is a molten glass. Right. And and it's like a, something becomes glass. So that's easy for us to do now because we have all this technology that can heat things up at, you know, thousands of degrees and at, you know, uh, at a long sustained pace. But if you're talking back, you know, 1500 years ago, may not have been that easy for people in Scotland. And that's what this first thing here is today. Yeah, because the forts, the rocks have been vitrified. And that's, that's the strange thing. So this was found out, I think, in the 1970s, I want to say, where it was first discovered by archaeologists who said, wait a minute, these fortresses in Scotland that are 1600 years old, how were these rocks piled on top of each other vitrified? They're, they're like glass. And I have to tell you, there are other examples of glass that's formed around the world. Like there's something called Libyan desert glass. Mm-hmm. And it's a great sand sea glass. And actually, they make jewelry out of it. Wow. The uh, scarab on King Tut's breastplate mm-hmm. in his sarcophagus is a, is a, you know, the beetle. Yeah. Is de- the Libyan desert glass. It's really? It's like yellow. And it's found in the areas of the eastern Sahara and the deserts of the eastern, of eastern Libya, western Egypt. Fragments of desert glass can be found over uh, areas of tens of square kilometers. That is where they believe where lightning hits the sand. Okay, right. That makes so sense. So that's heat, right? Right. And the other thing is there's something called Moldavite. Ooh. And that's in Czechoslovakia only. It's a forest green, olive green, or bluish green vitreous <laughs> silica projectile glass formed by a meteorite impact, probably in southern Germany. And it happened about 15 million years ago. So it's it's a finite form. It's a stone. And um, if you look at Julia Roberts' engagement ring, mm-hmm. I think it's Moldavite. 
because it's the ugliest damn ring I've ever seen in my life. It's a little green stone. Oh, my. Yeah. But to her, you know, she likes it. Well, to each his own, I suppose. Yeah, now, so it does happen with lightning and meteorites. Now, see, and I'm glad you said that because all of those things in those different parts of the world can be explained That's right. through science. That's right. Right? Whether you said it's lightning strikes, meteorites, whatever it is. Well, okay, but, a lightning can't strike a whole fort. Right, exactly. So in this case, how in the world in Scotland, as we jump into this first one here, in these forts that, okay, imagine, if you will, these forts in Scotland, and then, by the way, found out through all of Europe, all these different sites, hundreds of sites throughout Europe that have vitrified rocks that essentially, you know, it turns into glass on the side of these rocks. So how are they able to do that? What kind of help did they have well, to be able to... Well, they get 600 degrees Fahrenheit? You, I mean, 16,000. 16, you have to no, go... 1,600. You have to go over 1,600 degrees at a sustained pace. Like a kiln. So basically, you have to think about almost a volcanic eruption. Now, right. as far as I know, there aren't any volcanoes in the flatlands of Scotland. So this is why it's kind of baffled scientists. Dragon breath. It could be dragons. Maybe it's dragons. I don't know. But it's baffled scientists for decades wondering how, how were they able to do this? Well, academics cannot deny it, Stephen. Mm. With such overwhelming evidence in the face of adversity, academia, it would seem, have reluctantly been resigned to agreement with the extremely controversial facts displayed within these ancient stone forts. Quote, No lime or cement has been found in any of these structures, all of them presenting the peculiarity of being more or less consolidated by the fusion of the rocks of which they are built. Now, that's an important point because you're talking about if you're building a fortress, so why would you want to vitrify these rocks? Is it to make it stronger? But when you burn rocks, for the most part, not to get too much into like geology here, but for the most part, it becomes weaker. There are in some oh. cases where it, you would it think can help. Glass become, breaks. Right. Exactly. So why would you even do that? Brittle. Yeah. So why would you want to do that to to fortify your fortress? That wouldn't make much sense. Now, evidence does suggest that the rocks were stacked dry then set on fire deliberately to fuse them together to one solid rock. So ah. that maybe was kind of like they're thinking, let's make this a solid wall. Maybe they had a torch. <laughs> a very hot torch. <laughs> hey, you. Oh, it's Bill's turn to stand there with the torch for three weeks. <laughs> Light those rocks on fire. Three weeks. So, uh, now, the only explanation they can come up with, and this was a study that was conducted and published in the Journal of Archaeological Science. Yay. Back in 1978. Must this, be real. It must be. So they found that simply burning an ordinary timber-laced wall cannot account for the strong vitric, vitric, vitrification found, I can't say the word, and that the fire is probably raised for days with sustained high temperatures over 1,000 degrees. So that's really the only way you could do this, which is to have something over 1,000 degrees for days to be able to get this result. Ah. How? Yeah, and it's, mere, <laughs> it's pure silica, which requires temperatures, as you said, above 1,600 degrees or hotter. It's hotter than any igneous rock on Earth. So now keep in mind, That's too, like molten lava. Yeah, exactly. It's hotter than igneous rock, Stephen. Maybe they had some type of technique we didn't know about that has been lost to history, and which is possible. Or they had help from some type of ancient alien extraterrestrial thing going on here, which is, of course, theories from ancient Egypt and things like that as well. The only possible way, Karen, to, to have fires that are contained, such as the, what they needed to do that is by filling the space between the rocks in with timber framework with soil, oh. clay, combustible materials such as I peat. see. P 
Pete. Okay. P-E-A-T. Right. Pete. It seems unlikely, though, that the walls were burned accidentally or set on fire by enemies, which means that it was deliberate, leaving the question again, why? So you're saying they, <laughs> they could have put peat in there and then lit the peat. It's possible. So there could be some type of natural explanation to this. Maybe they came up with a technique, again, that is lost to us. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it didn't exist. Maybe they just had some type of technique that we don't know about that was lost to history. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, you know, like Pumapumku and um, Gobekli Tepe, all of the places where those stones are just less sitting on top of each other with no mortar, and it's almost like they're right. fused. Yeah. It's, we, it's all around the world that way. It's so weird. You know, and it, right, and with all these questions about these ancient sites that have these perfect cuts, these perfect circles that can only be done with tools that we have today. It's almost like the rocks had to be liquid at one point. It's Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what left scientists and archaeologists even more baffled was when they found out, wait a minute. Oh, geez. It's not only in Scotland, no. but it's throughout Europe. Yeah. Now there's weird. about 70 sites in Scotland, but a couple of other hundreds uh, examples throughout Europe. So it's... Uh, Scotland's a weird place, you know. It's got fairies and it's got the the thing in the, the Loch Ness monster, yeah. N- Nessie. Um, There's a lot of legends around Scotland. Yeah, a lot of legends and weird stuff going on there. Does it? Do they have the Blarney Stone too? Right? I believe so. Or is that no? That's that's Ireland. Ireland. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Don't want to offend anybody in Europe. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We do have listeners in Europe. Thank you to our European listeners. By the way, we have not forgotten you. We appreciate you. Now, aside from that, again, so we just want to present some of these weird things to you, and you can make up your own mind. Do they have some type of ancient technology that has been lost to time, or is there something more going on here? Yeah. How do you light a rock on fire? There you go. Now, moving on, Karen, to another kind of weird thing here. And you're going to have to, and this isn't like a, a, a shameless plug here for the website. You really are going to kind of have to follow along with visual aid. Oh, yeah, you have on to a see couple the, of these. the pictures of this stuff. Now, the rocks, we can explain. We can picture that. We're going to do our best to explain these next few things and put the picture in your head. But... I highly suggest to follow along for visual aid at 850WFTL.com. Go to the podcast section and look for UAP because when you click on that, you'll see our blog section. And on there, you're going to find the pictures of what we're about to speak about in these next few stories. Because you really have to get the visual to appreciate what we're referring to here in these next few uh, subjects. But you have seen some characterizations of what we're going to talk about in film. Yes, that's true. And we'll, we'll explain that. So... What in the bleep is the Cthulhu tablet? Cthulhu. And this says, may I please buy a vowel, yeah. Pat? Because this is spelled C-T-H. Yeah, C-T-H. U-L-H-U. That's correct. Now, just to give some type of uh, background here, you may be actually familiar with the Cthulhu 
legends, the, the mythology, because it's a fictional cosmic entity created by famous writer H.P. Lovecraft. It was first introduced in his short story called The Call of Cthulhu. Ahaha. Uh -huh. Okay. So that was published in the magazine Weird Tales back in 1928. It's considered It's an to American be, pulp magazine. That's correct. It's considered to be a great old one within the pantheon of Lovecraftian cosmic entities. This creature has since been featured in a bunch of different uh, you know, popular culture references. Lovecraft depicts it as a gigantic entity. Now, here's where you kind of have to use your imagination. And it's worshipped by cultists. It is, actually. It's kind of like its own cult now, the Cthulhu, Cthulhu cult. Oh. In a shape, it's, it's kind of shaped like a green octopus, okay, this, this character that he came up with. It's got uh, a octopus dragon. dragon type of feel to it. A caricature of human form, though, all right? Its name was given the Lovecraft-inspired universe, the Cthulhu Mythos, where it exists with its fellow entities. So it's this whole different world, really. Kind of imagine like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. This this was kind of like uh, you know mythology before all those were created. It has its own world to it. Middle Earth. Yeah. It looks like it's got an octopus coming out the face of a man, and it's the character in... Imagine Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. So yeah, it looks just like that character. Pretty much, yeah. And I should but it's say, green. I, for any nerds out there like me, you might argue me with me and say, "Well, Lord of the Rings was out in 1928." I understand J.R. Tolkien was working on those pretty early, so sorry if I offended any Lord of the Rings fans. Oh yeah, you get it. There's a very, there's it's a very huge uh, contingency out there, Karen. You don't want to mess with Lord of the Rings fans, no. <laughs> no. So it's, but yeah. So imagine that. Imagine Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean. So why are we bringing this up? What the heck are we talking about? Why are we even talking about this? Because. And this is where the visual aid will help on the website, 850WFTL.com on the UAP blog. There was a tablet found. And on the tablet, this was found about 10 years ago, off the coast of the USA, actually. Really? Which one? Which coast? Uh, the East Coast. Okay. And uh, so you're right, on the East Coast. I should mention that. And on this tablet is strange kind of rune-like writing. Oh, I love the runes. Okay, so imagine that. A stone, like a clay tablet. Okay, imagine like the Ten Commandments from, from the movie. And above the writing is a depiction, a picture of this face mm -hmm. that matches, at least kind of matches, the fans say, the Cthulhu character that Lovecraft created back in 1928. With the, the octopus coming out of the face. Yeah, kind of like the octopus beard, if you will. It's like right. this octopus human face, right. okay? So this tablet, it's a single tablet. It has that face on it on the front. It's it's sculpted into it, and then below it again is kind of like looks like rune like writing. Sometimes Sanskrit, ancient, Sanskrit, yeah, some type of ancient language that's you know sculpted into this tablet. Again, this tablet was found about ten years ago, supposedly, allegedly, off the co east coast of the United States. Has it been authenticized? Not exactly. Uh -huh. It's very mysterious. No one knows what to make out of it. There's Johnny now, Depp made it. Maybe he did. Now, there's plenty of theories. One of the theories is, Karen, that uh, this this tablet was made for some type of cosplay thing. Uh, when it came to the Cthulhu uh, universe, maybe this was something that you know a super fan made. And it was used for some type of game or Can't they carbon play. date it? I, that, just, I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's out there. Okay. You can look at it, make up your own mind, but they haven't tried carbon dating. I don't know why. Again, this is one of those things, fact or fiction. Is this complete BS or is there something to this? It does look old. Whoever made this did a very good job. Yeah, it was found on a beach. Yeah. In the United States in 2013, 
and it's remained a mystery ever since. Or is it possible, Karen, and I will throw this theory out to you as well, as you are on the website looking at this picture. That it fell off the black pearl? Maybe. Or (laughs) was this something that is ancient? Uh Was it something that H.P. Lovecraft actually had in his possession Uh and inspired him to create the Cthulhu? He wrote that, what, back in 1928? Correct. So maybe this is a real ancient piece. Was it near Oak Island? Maybe. (laughs) Don't get me started on Oak Island. Oh, gosh. That's a whole other episode. Oh, yeah. Get me going down a huge uh, rabbit hole there. Please. Yeah. But it is, it, it's odd. If you look at the picture of this thing on the website, like I said, on the UAP blog, then you can see what we're talking about. Because this, is this complete garbage? Is this something that was made by somebody planted there? They're trying to pass it off as, you know, a fake ancient alien artifact? Or is it proof of an ancient alien civilization that maybe this is where Lovecraft drew his uh, inspiration from? You know, was the from Cthulhu is, is like hundreds of meters tall, webbed. Human-looking arms and legs, a pair of rudimentary wings on its back. Yeah. Its head is depicted, you know, it's similar to the entity of the giant octopus, but it's got the tentacles surrounding its mouth. Yeah, and again, that's something, this isn't like, you know, uh, a skeleton that was found or something that's depicted in ancient Egyptian text. This is something that was created by H.P. Lovecraft. He's an author, he's a storyteller. So that's, that's his character that he created, his universe he created, like Tolkien did with Lord of the Rings. But the ironic thing here, and this is why we brought it up in connection with the story, is people call this tablet the Cthulhu tablet because of the monsterish, you know, depiction on the front of it looks like that monster. So it's odd. Where does it live now, the tablet? No one knows. It kind of disappeared. Oh, really? So yeah. there's a photo of it. Now we don't know where it yeah, is. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of in. It's in the ether. Universe. It's in the ether. Huh. Yeah. So Interesting. It's, it's kind of just around somewhere. All right. Perfect. Well, that. Moves us on to the next topic, and I'll let you pronounce these statues. The Ein Gazal humanoid statues. Righto. They're very weird statues. The oddly designed sculptures are humanoid, but were made without arms and don't have any distinguishing features that would identify their intended gender. Perhaps the most haunting thing about them is their eyes, which are lifelike and thickly lined. Between the eyes and the strangely small ears, it's challenging to identify which race of people they're supposed to represent, if any at all. Mm. Some of the plaster sculptures are only two feet tall, whereas others are six feet tall or even larger. Yeah, they were discovered in Joyden. Joyden. <laughs> in an archaeological <laughs> site in Jordan in Eingazal. So now the important thing to note here is now these have been dated. These are real statues. Yeah. This isn't something that, you know, it was like the tablet we spoke about can be disputed if it's even a real no, this thing is or the not. Real thing. This was found, like you said, in an archaeological dig in uh, um, uh, Gazal, Jordan. Dates they, back 9,000 9, years. 9,000 years. It's, That's the amazing thing about this. Some of them are two feet tall and some of right. them are... Now, keep in mind, these were made during the pre-pottery Neolithic oh, period. wow. Okay? Now, they have a total of 15 statues and 15 busts that were discovered between 1983 and 1985 in two underground caches in Jordan. They were created about 200 years apart those 30 statues and busts. So these were something that generations of people living in Jordan, generations of, of Middle Eastern people were working on over 200 years. Why? They, they look like they don't have eyelids. They're extremely strange They're looking. Like bug-eyed. Like they have, glau- uh, not glaucoma, but they have <laughs> they have that uh, thyroid disease. What is it? That 
Barbara Bush had. Yeah, where it kind of makes like your, your eyes, bulge, eyes out. bulge out. It's I don't know if the whole race of people in Jordan had like this eye disease where your eyes were bulging out, or if the artists were just not very good. Look, <laughs> it's possible that maybe these artists who created these statues over 200 years apart were just terrible at art. Okay, maybe yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. That's it. That's what it is. We have people now who are I'm awful at art. You're a great artist. I can't draw a stick figure. Yeah, okay? but so, I mean, without arms, you can draw an arm. Yeah, I could draw possibly an arm or two, maybe some fingers. So it's possible that maybe everybody who made these statues over a 200 year period were all equally as terrible at art. <laughs> or it's possible that it's they possible. were specifically trying to depict. A humanoid type of creature and that's exactly what they looked like so again you need the visual here you're gonna have to go to 850wftl.com if you're not there already looking at the blog and take a look at these things because honestly they're they're a little frightening like they're creepy graves disease oh no that's what it's called there you yes. go okay when it makes the eyes bulge out. so just to point the picture again all right in case maybe you don't have access to the internet at this point, which I don't know how you wouldn't since you're listening to a podcast, but nevertheless, <laughs> just to paint the picture, the statue's a few feet tall. It's got these... Well, no, they go from two feet to like really tall. Yeah, to about six feet, seven feet tall. So let's say, let's say this one is four feet tall, okay? okay? So it's got a normal torso. You got the legs, builds up to a torso. You got the chest area, no arms. No arms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which then is, you... It, you know, if you have no arms, it's hard for you to make a statue. Also true. And then you have the neck and the head. Now, the head is where things become a little weird because you have this these oddly shaped heads that kind of resemble aliens. Then you have the almond giant bulging eyes that resemble what we look at in pictures of gray aliens. And you have these little slits for noses. Right. And you have no ears. It looks like a gray alien. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and, and say then it. And the, then they're binary, too. I mean, they're, we don't know. There's no gender to right, them. Right, Which I found intriguing because that's something you brought up before, yes. Karen, is that whenever we hear these depictions of aliens, we never hear about gender-specific no. things. They're, you know, and we're moving toward that. Where, no, well, where men are turning into women, women are turning into men, and eventually we'll just be able to be hermaphroditic and just be, you know... Maybe that's One. what's going on there. I don't know. But the fact that there's nine, these were made 9,000 years ago. Yeah. And quite frankly, you, you can Pre, be the judge yourself. Pre-pottery. Pre-pottery. Yeah. You can be the judge they, yourself. Look they at couldn't the even make a bowl. but they can. they can make these statues. So how are they doing that? How do they have the, the material and know-how, of course, to be able to make these things? But they were my theory, and you can agree or disagree when you see the pictures, these were people, again, over 200. If these were just made over like a few months, yeah, then I, I could go with the theory of this guy was just a bad artist. But this was a tradition that was passed down from generation to generation over a couple of hundred years. So that's what kind of makes me think, hmm, these are specific to somebody's look. They were instructed to make these to look a certain way. Right. So my theory is, yeah, these are depicting some type of humanoid creature. Maybe people just looked weird back then, 9,000 years ago, or... They were trying to depict somebody or something that they were seeing by making these statues to honor them. Now, unlike the tablet, which we have no idea where it is, yeah. these you can see. One of them is, or some of them are in the Jordan Museum in Amman. Uh, then you've got a couple of them loaned to foreign museums. You've got one statue in the Louvre yes, in Paris. Right. Yeah. 
parts of three other statues can be seen in the British Museum in London. And one of the figures with two heads. By the way, yeah, this one has two heads. That's right. Remember? Yes, thank two you. Two heads. Yeah. Let's not bury the lead here. That's on show in the Louvre at Abu Dhabi. So apparently there's a Louvre, a Louvre in Abu Dhabi. Yes. That's cool. That's pretty, that's pretty cool, actually. Well, we have a person. There's that girl that, that has the two heads. That, You've that, seen her. Yes, that's, that's true. There is a... Um, Birth deformity, where you know you have twins and they get conjoined. attached to one body. Yeah, you can have conjoined twins. You can have the one body with the two heads. We we have seen that before. So yeah. maybe there was something like that back then, and they didn't know how to describe it. Obviously, right? Um, very strange. Eight fifty wftl dot com podcast. Go to UAP and you'll see our blog page, and you can see these pictures along with what we were just talking about too with the tablet and uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, um, they. <laughs> <laughs> this I have to scratch my head and go, maybe not, Stephen, but, you know, give it the old college try. I'm just throwing it out Egyptian, there. Egyptian, quote unquote, coins. They're really creepy, I must admit, and they may or may not prove that aliens did live among the Egyptians. I'm just throwing it out there. Look, factor fi- I think that's exactly what happened. This is this Someone is, throw them out there. Yeah, maybe, but this is why we named the episode Ancient Alien Artifacts Factor Fiction. You make up your mind. Now, this next one, like Karen said, it's it's a set of ancient Egyptian coins, supposedly, allegedly, that were found um, in a dig through a house renovation, actually. A house renovation. In, <laughs> in a dig. Yes. Yeah, it was on HGTV. That's right. It was a dig from Flip construction workers. Yeah. It was a house... <laughs> E- Egypt. In Egypt, flop, yeah. Yes. The Egypt edition. I uh, was just saying, these coins, that's where they were found in a house renovation back in Egypt in 2016. So okay. five and a half years ago, maybe? Sure. Dates back five and a half years ago. Now, according to a website called MysteriousEarth.net, so we'll give them a little plug here, they say a group of people who worked on the renovation of a house in southern Egypt found a number of very rare coins. They call the coins unique because other coins that were found have no images of a strange human figure. The site also adds that it is possible that the coins show visiting aliens on planet Earth. Right. That it could show that. The site also notes that one of the coins, which have not been authenticated... That's right. We must emphasize that. I will emphasize that. I'll be fair. They have not been authenticated, but it has the Latin phrase, opportunus adest, carved on the back, which means... It's here in due time. Ooh, I like it. What's here in due time? Well, one coin seems to show the head of an extraterrestrial being. It's got like the, it's actually got a really kind of chiseled face with high cheekbones. Yeah. And the hollow almond eyes, bald head, and the thin cheeks. Right. And it's the other seems an alien to depict what a, what a spaceship, right? It's, 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 yeah, there's no hovering. These are not up for interpretation. When you see the pictures nah. on the UIP blog, it's a picture of an alien on the front of a coin. He's wearing some type of tunic, which was weird. And it has what looks to be Greek lettering on the side. And then on the back is the UFO hovering. You see clouds, you see the UFO, um, and it has that Latin phrase. So you have a couple of different languages. And are they on gold, this coin. made of gold and silver? Would you know what they're made out of? Yeah, I, I believe it was a, a goldish looking coin. Um, they found a couple of different ones. There was one that was gold, one that was silver. Um, now, I will just throw this theory out there as well because I like to present both sides. The skeptics say that these are what are, what are called hobo coins. Hobo coins. Hobo coins are something that essentially came about because you would have hobos who were traveling from, you know, riding the rails. They would take coins and sculpt their own things in them. 
because you had older coins that were kind of more easy to fashion. The, yeah, the but metal these, was are not, these are well done. These are very these are well done. very intricately and very good artists made these coins. So you can, again, make up your own mind. You can look at the Franklin pictures. Mint. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they look really, there's a lot of detail in these. I mean, so, they're rudimentary and old looking, but they're they're very well done. They are. So the question is... Were these actual ancient Egyptian coins depicting clear pictures of aliens and UFOs? Or is it complete BS and they were made by somebody and that's that's that? You you make up your mind. You be the judge. Not only on that one, but on all these stories we talked about today. Because they're, they're going to leave you scratching your head, which is quite frankly the goal. That is the goal. <laughs> we're like the movie Don't Look Up. You yeah. know, it's just we throw a bunch of stuff out there. You can believe it if you want. If you don't want to, that's fine, too. Now, uh, some of these were a little bit more fantastical today. I will admit that. Sometimes we have a little bit more things that are harder to refute. These things today were maybe a little bit more easier to say, ah, that's ridiculous. But if you look a little bit deeper, you kind of start to scratch your head a little bit and say, hmm, maybe there's something to these. I think what's interesting is that books and also movies, film, kind of depict these things that we talk about. Yeah, that's true. Close Encounters of the Third Kind was actually made and it tells the story of something that actually might have happened yeah and that people won't believe so they'll make a movie out of it right and then you've got this thing with the octopus on in pirates of the caribbean yeah the davy uh, jones character looks alien, just like this thing on the that tablet. alien thing has been seen before that you know the alien and alien they, right. they make their props to look like things that have actually possibly been, existed and maybe been described at some point yeah so you can, again, take a look for yourself. Last time I'll say it, 850WFTL.com on the UAP blog. You can check out all these pictures, everything that we have up there for you, and, and make up your own mind. And, uh, you know, just you can say that this is absolute ridiculousness, or, again, maybe there's something to these. I think parts of it are believable. I, I cannot figure out how they vitrified the, the Scottish fort. That's though. amazing. I mean, That's that, weird. That's a fact. Those vitrified rocks are there, so... You know, how did how did that happen? But make up your mind and you can make up your mind again with us next week when we talk about something. We're going to go a little bit down a different road here. Okay. What do you think about Giants, Karen? Giants. Good. Good in the NBA. All right. That's good. (laughs) Good center. Good beanstalk makers. Andre the Giant. No, (laughs) beanstalk makers. There is actual, I think, and I've always been interested in, in the subject of Giants because even if you look back into the Bible, there's a lot of different indications, archaeological digs, finding things that can only be explained by people who were a certain height. How else would right. it be used? So we're going to, no pun intended, dig a little deeper into the possible real-life history of giants I love it. who lived on the Earth. And I'm sure we'll find some type of mysterious you know, extraterrestrial connection there as well. But we're going to go a little bit different on that next week because I think— There might be something to this. There really might be. I think you're right. But until then, be sure to continue to download, subscribe, and listen to UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Stephen Diener here, Karen Curtis there. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and of course on 850WFTL.com where the podcast lives on the blog there. And give us five extraterrestrial stars. Download, subscribe. We really love uh, that you love us. And you can check out the new UAP Twitter. Yes. No. UA Podcast 850 is where you can follow us. Yay. UA Podcast 850 on Twitter. We're going to have updates and episodes on there as well. Okay. So check it out. We'll talk to you again next time.